What is up? Good people! It's not good people anymore. It's people of pod. What is up, people of pod? Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple for all the saints and the ain'ts, also known as Holy Shit Pod, a holy, irreverent, irreverently holy conversation about spirituality, culture, and the world. I've come to know myself as the supreme pontiff and sovereign of the holy city of Pod. The Holy Mother, shut your mouth. Mouth with an F. Brandon T. Maxwell. These titles are getting out of control. I know, exactly. Supreme pontiff and sovereign. But I've arrived at my final title. This is it. Oh my God. Hi, I'm Katie, the apparently the vicar apostolic stated clerk, teaching elder, spiritual director in residence, and mother superior. And? No, no, no. I'm not doing the other thing because you are not my holiness. I didn't say I was your holiness. You are not the holiness. My holiness is God's holiness. I'll be chaplain to Pastor Sam. Anyway, who are you? I am the most venerable and honorable the chief holy huh? the chiefest of holy the chiefest mm. that's real african american <laughs> y'all don't know nothing about that i'm the chiefest of holies pastor sam today the category is you can't fire me i quit I need everybody serving two weeks' notice realness to show up on the floor. Because in today's Word of Pod, for the people of Pod, we're talking about this great resignation. People all over America and maybe even all over the world are leaving their jobs in droves, honey. What's behind it all? Why are the millennials leading the way? And why are the baby boomers clutching their pearls and their desks? Will they ever retire? (laughs) Will the boomers retire? It's going to be a great time. But before we get into that, we got a few church announcements for the good of the congregation because some of y'all ain't bathing. And it's starting to tamper with the sweet smelling savor of the temple. So with that, let's get into it. What the hell are you talking about? (laughs) Did you not read? This is crazy. You ain't heard about the white people not bathing. White people being ain't bathing. That ain't new. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit in the Temple for All the Saints and the Ain'ts. We don't have a script today because life didn't present us with the space or the time to do so. They don't need to know that. So it's going to be a little bit more lively today. Mama and Daddy, if you're listening, I might swear a little bit more today. So you might want to skip this episode, but it's going to be good if you keep listening. More than usual? Wow. I don't swear as much anymore. If you listen to the episodes, which you don't, you (laughs) swear the most now. Oh, I'm sorry. You just edited it out and you keep mine in. No. In the unredacted versions, you swear all the time and I love it. I'm here for it. I live. No, it's true. Well, you need to make sure you redact that shit. <laughs> redact that shit. I don't want to be all over the interwebs cussing. Too late. I got followers. The first church announcement comes from the Mother's Board Ministry. The Mother's Board Ministry is announcing that they are reactivating the baptismal pool. Reactivating. <laughs> <laughs> Refilling the baptismal pool. We will resume baptisms effective immediately because apparently the white members of the congregation are not bathing And we know that Baptist theology typically says you shouldn't be baptized more than once, but we are rescinding that Mm. effective immediately. Wait a minute. I thought you all were all about baptizing everyone multiple times. Mm -mm. Only one time. Well, you know, once in the Baptist church. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) It don't take but one time for the Lord to do his work. Brandon, haven't you been baptized at least 67 times? I thought you had to make it count. Hell no. He's been baptized 666 times. You know what? You the devil. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I was baptized once, but I do have several friends who were baptized at least three times. I was actually baptized twice. You were baptized twice. When I got married, my wife wanted us to be baptized together. That's some ignorant shit. No, it's that's sweet. That's romantic. It was ignorant. You said it was ignorant. 
but you know, happy wife. <laughs> so we're reactivating and refilling the baptismal pool and resuming baptisms because we found out that all of our suspicions were true. White people ain't bathing. Apparently, they are no longer ashamed of this reality either. Not all white people aren't. For the last several weeks and months, white celebrities have been coming out talking about the fact that they don't bathe. They talk about not bathing their faces regularly, not bathing their legs regularly, not bathing other parts of their body regularly. And now it all makes sense. I could not understand why people kept talking about wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands for the first half of the pandemic. And I was like, what have y'all been doing for the entirety of your lives? Not washing your hands and not bathing. This is why the Delta variant is here, right. because white people do not bathe. Brandon, you sound so anti-white. Let me tell you, first of all. I'm not anti-white. I'm pro-bath. <laughs> Secondly, what you're saying is true. <laughs> uh, I remember the one, one place that I used to work. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, she just happened to be white. I'm sure many of the black people had the same experience. I doubt it. She takes a bath or a shower like every three days. No. Because it strips the body of its natural oils. And, you know, that that person was trying to preserve those natural oils. I'm like, you some natural funky is what you is. And... <laughs> <laughs> it ain't just that. I, I don't buy that as an excuse. Like, I remember one time, I think I was an undergrad. I was in the toilet at the at the gas station, and so many people came. This is going downhill. It's going downhill fast. So many people came in there. Like, you you can, you mean, you're in the stall, so you can hear what's going on. They would use the toilet and get their nasty asses up off the toilet and walk straight out the door. Uh, and I'm like, you ain't going to wash your hands? And we in Alabama, and this is summertime, so they got on shorts and flip-flops. They was as white as the driven snow. Oh. <laughs> Let me tell you. And I said, this don't make no sense. I know you was taught better than that, but maybe not. They weren't. <laughs> Katie, please defend your people. Yes. Defend your people. Yes. I will not defend these people at all. <laughs> I am all about the bathing. I am all about bathing twice a day if necessary. Three. If I work out, I'm bathing. If I wake up, I'm bathing. I'm all about bathing. And just got one of those new little rain shower heads. You know, I was trying to, I was trying to be, you know, good and save water. But, but you ain't got to save water because half your population ain't bathing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Now that I know that all these people aren't bathing, I can just take, except then I had to pay for it. But I'm all about bathing. We are all about water and soap. I've heard people say things like you don't need to use soap to get clean. I was like, oh, I they just they just get under the water and just like splash around like a Who fish for a minute. Shit? <laughs> I don't Who said that shit? It was on some little TikTok crap. That's crazy because I use first I use antibacterial soap and then on the second wash or you know, I'm using like shower gel, something fragrant. Like I'm using I'm doing like two or three times that I'm actually lathering yeah. myself. And some people be like, no, nah, just just let just rinse off. That's called a that's called a rinse off. That's not it. That is not it. <laughs> I shower when I wake up in the morning to wash off whatever sleep put on me, yep. and I shower in the evening when I go to bed because the bed needs to be clean. Don't you also shower every time you poop? Yes. I was going. I wasn't going to say that. Because I don't want people to be like, why does Brandon, why does Sam know so much about Brandon? Well, I, I know, but he figured he's editing, so he'd take it out. I'm going to keep it in the episode. I didn't say it. This <laughs> is the list of celebrities who do not shower. Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't know. Brad Pitt. What? You don't know who Jake Gyllenhaal is? I probably know him if I Brokeback him. Mountain. Wasn't he in Brokeback Mountain? Well, see, he's not the one that died. No, he's Legend died. That's Heath Ledger. Right. Yeah, Brokeback Mountain was Jake Gyllenhaal. 
That's my boo from that movie. You, you got musty, dirty boo. Well, I ain't my boo no more because he don't bathe. <laughs> Who else? Brad Pitt don't bathe. Ashton Kusher don't bathe. Ashton look like he don't bathe. Well, that's true. But this is what makes me mad. Jennifer Lawrence, Hunger Games. Her ass said that she liked the way Brad Pitt smelled. In a blog after the Oscars, she going to say, Brad Pitt smells so amazing. Like nothing I've ever smelled. Of course you ain't smelled nothing. He's not wearing cologne. That's his funk. <laughs> Katie, what would you say if you knew that a black person didn't bathe? Brandon, stop it. You don't have to answer that question, Katie. I'm for all people bathing. <laughs> <laughs> all baths matter. Katie said all baths matter. <laughs> that is the only time that I would say that. Yes, I'm all about the baths. At the end of the day, the church announcement is, if you come to this house of worship and you choose not to bathe before you get here, you will be baptized. We're going to dunk you. We are going to dunk you. And we are and, and we are putting soap suds in the baptismal pool because this is not a rinse off. Yep. This is not just to run some water over your body. We're using Dawn dish soap. Because that's what they use. That's what they use to clean the animals after an oil spill. Our second church announcement has to do with the Supreme Court and its hatred of women. Let's not include all of the Supreme Court in this hatred. You are correct. Uh, Two thirds of the Supreme Court Mm -hmm. (laughs) hates women. The white side. And Clarence. No, you don't have to make a distinction. I'm including Clarence. Last week, just before midnight on Wednesday, the midnight decisions ain't very healthy decisions. Don't send no emails. Don't make no phone calls. Don't make no Supreme Court decisions at midnight. But they didn't make a decision. Well, that's the T, right? They refused to make a decision on Wednesday of last week to block a Texas law that's the most restrictive abortion measure in the nation. The vote was five to four with Chief Justice Jonathan G. Roberts Jr. joining the court's three liberal members in dissent. John Roberts is the centrist of this court. Now, how the hell? That's what I'm saying. I mean, he is. Remember when he was the most conservative? I just, well, maybe not the most, but he was pretty conservative. We see this in multiple cases. John Roberts basically saved the Affordable Care Act. He's now the centrist of the court. It, It should be noted that the conservative part of the court that was in the majority of this decision said that this decision was not a decision on the law itself, but was that they did not have enough time or evidence to actually make a decision on the law. So that's why they refused to take uh, it. What else was on their Calvinist? They wouldn't go on to bathe. <laughs> Just hating women and making decisions for women's bodies. So the thing with the Supreme Court decision or the failure to make a decision last Wednesday is it literally debunks Roe v. Wade for people in Texas. Say more. Like, people in Texas right now cannot receive an abortion if the fetus is older than six weeks old. So that strips those individuals of the rights that Roe v. Wade gave them in 1973. Yeah, that's interesting because that has tons of implications. I mean, like for marriage rights, right? We we couldn't get that to happen for LGBTQ people until the Supreme Court made a national law. So now what the Supreme Court has done in this particular situation is turn it back to state law. So this could have implications for all kinds of things, or is that 
going too far. I don't know if it's going too far. I think the thing with this particular non-decision on the part of the Supreme Court, the five conservative justices who I want to note didn't even have the courage to sign their names on their majority opinion. So we only know who they are because each of the dissenting justices wrote their own dissent and signed it at the bottom. The three liberal justices and the chief justice, John Roberts, and then the five majority opinion holders, they basically said, hey, we can't rule on this because it really doesn't fit under our jurisdiction. And that's where the sickness comes in to me. The Texas lawmakers literally wrote this in a way where it prevents anybody Mm. from adjudicating the matter. So they've effectively blocked the Supreme Court out of the state law and prevented them from doing what the Supreme Court does. This is not completely accurate. It's not inaccurate. The way that you and Katie are describing the law would be true if this was a decision based on- Have you researched this? He's reading Wikipedia right now. I'm not reading anything. I just understand. This was abortion rights agency seeking an injunction for them to not allow this law to go into effect. And the Supreme Court says, we're not making a decision on the law. What we're saying is because we don't have enough time to figure out some of these things. No, this is the nuance that you're missing. There's a technicality that the Texas lawmakers have figured out how to encode in this law. We're in the five conservative justices. To half of your point said, we're not ruling on the constitutionality of what they're doing. We're saying for what has been raised, we don't have any ability to adjudicate this matter. And the four dissenting justices were all like, what the fuck do you mean? We're the fucking Supreme Court. We're going to actually allow the state of Texas to tell us that we can't rule on a matter based on a technicality they've encoded in their law? There's nothing that you can encode in that law that will prevent the Supreme Court from taking that up and making a decision on it. Not historically, but this law does it. Correct. Because they didn't do the injunction, it means it goes into effect, which has an effect, which has an impact on people's lives. Correct. Which means now somebody can say, make a challenge against the law. But no, they can't. And here's why. Because the if you get into what they've written, it is literally like the Salem fucking witch trials. Brandon, basically. Based on the law, a state cannot... Sam, you're talking logic. This is conservative radicalism. Wait, my point is, even if it's radicalism, the law is black and white for the most part. Well, that's not true. Let me finish. When I say the law is black and white, you're saying that they have encoded or written into a law that limits the Supreme Court's jurisdiction. I'm saying they can't necessarily write into the law to make that happen. However, the conservative majority of the Supreme Court can make a decision not to take up something or not to act on something, that doesn't even limit their jurisdiction. That just means that the court has been slanted in a way that made it political. But the states do not have the power to limit the jurisdiction of the Supreme Court. What we see is the conservative majority taking it upon themselves to make a decision about that law. And so my issue is with the way you are defining it. Yeah, it says Texas lawmaker, this is from PBS, Texas lawmakers wrote the law to evade federal court review by allowing private citizens to bring civil lawsuits in state court against anyone involved in an abortion other than the patient. Okay, and when someone, and this is my thing, if if someone who is taken to court by some random person, if they begin to say, this violates my constitutional rights, the way it sounds like Brandon is articulating it is that there is no way in which the Supreme Court can evaluate that claim. For what is on the table right now, that is the case, Sam. And the decision of the five conservative justices actually encodes that now. 
for how this was done, it encodes the fact that the Supreme Court now has a historical precedent for saying we cannot rule on a matter that a state writes in this manner. Elena Kagan's dissenting opinion says this is patently and obviously unconstitutional. Right, because it creates, a like I think Biden's talking about it as vigilante justice, right? Yes. This is, it becomes a private issue. So if I had an abortion, then you could come up, Brandon, and and tell somebody. And so then it becomes almost a private matter as opposed to the state enforcing it. Correct. So it's illegal, but the state's not the one who's enforcing it. Correct. Fascinating. It's private citizens, right? Right, right. And it's not just those who get abortions. It's anyone who aids and abets in the process. Clergy are explicitly mentioned. Fascinating. Uber drivers. No. If you drive someone to get an abortion in the state of Texas right now, and anybody in the community sees or knows about it, even if they just know because you use your Uber app. Oh, they stand outside those places. They can file a lawsuit against you. And it's not just once, it's anybody and everybody who observes it and wants to file the lawsuit. That's what they've written down. I'm actually not in disagreement with y'all about the absurdity of the law and the fact that what y'all are saying is like absolutely crazy and unconstitutional, as Elena Kagan has said. What I'm trying to understand is if this law has just gone into effect and there has been no challenge brought against it, is what I'm saying. And the Supreme Court has not made a decision that this law stands. That's what I'm that's what I'm trying to f- understand. So but check this, Sam. For the logical way that the law has worked historically, what has to happen now is a women's clinic has to perform an abortion illegally. Correct. Every single abortion clinic in the state of Texas is refusing to perform abortions on women who are more than six weeks in progress in their pregnancy. So how do I now file a lawsuit if every abortion clinic in the state is following the unjust law, Sam? How do I get it back to the Supreme Court? You're kidding. Like they're actually following it. I don't don't get me wrong. What you're saying, I get, I understand. But I think the way that you said it earlier. Your ADHD got you stuck. Come here. <laughs> no, it's it suggested that there was something that actually prohibited. Like it, it like, does. Let me, let, hold on, hold on. Let me let me let me explain what I mean by that. Like literally, like if someone does file, someone does perform an illegal abortion, like the Supreme Court hands are tied. They can't do anything. Oh no, I'm not saying that the Supreme Court could do something, but they're choosing not to. Like you're right. This is nefarious because now all of the the providers are now like, okay, we're gonna stop. We're not gonna do it. You know, and so you're I I agree. I'm in agreement with you, but I just wanted to clarify, like, wait a minute, you know, like they haven't lost their jurisdiction here. Right. Like in terms of if there's ever a challenge brought, there's nobody's going to be like, hey, Supreme Court, you out of this. This is the state's. Except they just did it. That's what that's that's the point. I I think (laughs) I think it may be too close to it, Sam, for you to see what I'm saying. I'm saying the fact that they failed to act on this on Wednesday of last week actually does what you're outlining. It's just not historical yet. But but my point was that has more to do with the conservative majority of the court and less to do with it being written into the law. Because it's the, as you have pointed out, it's not written into the law. No, it is written in the law. I'm reading Sonia Sotomayor's dissenting opinion. It says, and quote, presented with an application to enjoin a flagrantly unconstitutional law engineered to prohibit women from exercising their constitutional rights and to evade judicial scrutiny, a majority of justices have opted to bury their heads in the sand. So that's my point. My point is that last 
line. We may be splitting a hair, but we, I'm saying I think we are. I'm saying that the actions of the five conservative justices have now created a judicial precedent for the Supreme Court to say our hands are tied. We Correct. can't do anything. That's exactly what I've been saying. I think it sounded like you were saying Texas basically kind of somehow usurped some authority over the Supreme Court to tie their hands. They did. What are you missing? <laughs> okay, yes, they did. But it's not like they did it because they have jurisdiction over them. They did it because of the five conservative justices who Sonia Sotomayor just said buried their heads in the sand. And so we're splitting hairs. I'm t- I'm, we're saying the same thing. But I'm saying that this could not have happened without Brent Kavanaugh. So here's the thing. I think that all of, like, it's an interesting conversation. I think what's coming up for me in this is, obviously, I wasn't, like, paying attention to Roe versus Wade at the age of three years old. However, I grew up hearing about backdoor abortions, about women traveling and dying because they sought them out. So I think think that if all the Planned Parenthoods and other abortion clinics in or reproductive rights clinics in Texas are stopping it, then we've got a bunch of women, even those who have been raped and molested and such, who are needing, desiring, I don't know if anybody ever wants an abortion, but needing to take that action and they don't have a place to do it. And so we're putting lives at risk. And Texas knows this. And what's going to happen, Katie, abortions aren't going to stop. Correct. Because of the legal access to them has has been mitigated. People are still going to have abortions. And this law seeks to penalize them harshly. And what's going to ultimately happen is some one of these cases is going to end up before the Supreme Court. Likely somebody who received an abortion outside of some of these more well-known channels. And that's when we're going to have to see what is ultimately decided about the constitutionality of some of the provisions in this law. Right. There's going to be some doctor who is fully equipped to do this who's going to decide to perform an abortion. My concern is for the women who don't have access to that doctor. Texas is a big state. It's hard to get out of to find a place to go. So, yes, and we've got a lot of women who are facing a lot of things with this. It's dangerous. This Huffington Post piece that I was reading earlier is talking about this. I'm just going to read from it. A one paragraph summary of the conservative justices reasoning centered around the novel new structure of the Texas legislation, agreeing with the defendant's argument that such a structure tosses a wrench into pre-existing case law. Right. So what, so basically what they've done is they're no longer having the dialogue about Roe v. Wade. Right. Mm-hmm. They've created now a legal precedent that could potentially override Roe v. Wade. And so now we're no longer negotiating about whether or not a woman is entitled to X based on Roe v. Wade and that legal precedent. We've established a new precedent that allows the state of Texas to override Roe v. Wade based off of a legal technicality. And it's only a matter of time before Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, South Carolina, like before all of these southern states do the same fucking thing. But you got to think and you got to wonder, this isn't the first time that a state has passed and even a governor has signed a very restrictive abortion bill into law. In the past, when there was more of a balance on the court, in many cases, the court would issue that injunction and say this law cannot go in in effect based on X, Y, and Z. Or 
if that law did go into an effect, there was almost immediately a challenge brought to that law. And sometimes it was it was some of the lower courts who said this was unconstitutional and the Supreme Court says we agree with them. So we're not going to take this up. And so, you know, I think, Brandon, to your point, it, 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 it stops just short of saying Texas is overriding Roe v. Wade because there are still some legal things that have to happen before that actually is the final decision. It's overwritten now. <laughs> it's, it's overwritten if there's never a challenge brought to it. I, I think that this is crafty on the part of Texas lawmakers. The real meat of this is buried in the dissenting opinions from the courts. I mean, so I'm, re- I'm still reading from so- um, Sonia Sotomayor's dissent. Sotomayor argued that Texas legislators were well aware of binding precedent that prohibits laws like the one it passed, restricting a person's ability to obtain an abortion of a non-viable fetus. To circumvent it, the legislature took the extraordinary step of enlisting private citizens to do what the state could not, which is what you were saying earlier, Katie. In short, the state's gambit worked. So that's my point right there, Sam. And I I guess it's coming from that dissent. The state's gambit here worked. It actually created the legal precedent for there to be this workaround to even having a conversation about Roe v. Wade. So it has undercut it, at least right now. We are at a place right now where in the state of Texas, Roe v. Wade is not the law of the land. And that's the, and that's the thing. I think when we talk about law and legality, like Roe v. Wade has not been rescinded. In Texas, it has. I'm sticking to that. I mean, I get that you're saying based on what they have passed, it has. I'm saying there hasn't been a legal, that the, the law itself has not been struck down. I mean, and this is not the first case where states or local governments have passed law that is at odds with established law. And my point is, I mean, I hear what you're saying because, I mean, the logical conclusion is what you're saying. But typically, SCOTUS rules on those matters is what I'm trying to highlight, Sam. Like, SCOTUS makes a decision that has taken those laws and cut them off at the knees. SCOTUS, in this instance, did not do that. And my point is, if you would listen, shut the hell up and listen. You ain't listening, nigga. I, no, I agree with you. Usually SCOTUS does it. My point my point to you is sometimes SCOTUS does it before that law goes into effect. Sometimes SCOTUS does it after that law goes into effect. But as you just said, Roe v. Wade has not been legally rescinded. So there is a discrepancy. I think we will see some of these cases end up going beyond the Texas courts um, to challenge the validity of some of these laws. You're absolutely right, Sam. I'm not confident that it will get anywhere. That's, and so that's my whole point is that the issue then is the makeup of the court. And all the federal justices below them, all of it is screwed up. And I guess it's a matter of like how you articulate history because when we're talking about the Supreme Court, Mitch McConnell <sighs> did change the shape of the courts for a year. You're talking about the Supreme Court or all the courts? I'm talking about SCOTUS. Okay, yes, yes. I mean, there's nowhere in the Constitution that says we got to have nine justices. That just is the sort of precedent. But I'm saying that's the understanding and the cultural assumption is we got to have nine justices. We went over one year with eight. And so when those things happen, how we articulate those things historically matters. I'm already contending that effective Wednesday, September the 1st, until whenever this legal claim that you're talking about that I hope comes up for this small period of time, Roe v. Wade has been overturned in the state of Texas. And I agree with you. That's where we are historically. 
And that's what history books need to write so that people in the future who learn about this understand Roe v. Wade is not a sacred cow in the way that we've made it. We've made Roe v. Wade some sort of deity around women's bodies, women's rights, and reproduction rights. It's no longer sacred. It's no longer holy. There is now another voice in the room, and it's this Texas law that because of SCOTUS's actions has actually come and become a conversation partner, at least, with Roe v. Wade. So when I was in Palestine, there was an Israeli attorney who got on the bus we were on. We were, we were, our emotions were high. We saw houses that had been destroyed. We saw so many, like, policies or practices that would prevent people from building houses. And this attorney gets on the bus and says, there's no law written in the Constitution that prevents Palestinians from building homes. And we was like, that's bullshit. Literally, they can't build, they can't thrive. You tear the houses down. It doesn't have, you're like, you have made it the law through the practices and through the policies. And so it doesn't matter if there's no law written. I think in our exchange, because the lawyer wanted us to know, he wasn't disagreeing with us. He was saying, there's actually no text in the constitution that prevents this. I think in our exchange, I was being that lawyer. And I wasn't saying that I disagree with you. You were just being the resident ass. Ooh. I was coming from this kind of like, what's the word when you when somebody is like very literal? I think it's called literal. I think it's Amy Coney Barrett. <laughs> the shade of it all. Brandon was like saying they have basically <laughs> overturned Roe v. Wade. And when I hear that in my mind, it's like, okay, no. But it doesn't make your point ineffective. But why is that important for you to hold on to? I don't know. It's just the way my mind, it's the way my mind processes things. I'm like literal. I'm like, no, actually, literally, it has not been overturned. But what'd you say to that lawyer? I said, that's bullshit. We can see these houses been torn down. We can see- That's all- bullshit. We can see all these women who can't get abortions and who might die because they got to go to a back alley abortion. Get them, Katie. I, I wasn't <laughs> disagreeing with you. You was being that damn lawyer. I was being that lawyer to say, hey, actually, you know, if, if, if people are listening to us saying, oh, shit, they overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, in, in essence, yes, we're saying they did with this practice. Legally, that actually has not happened. In Texas, it has. I'm going in back Texas, to my- it has. I agree. In Texas, it has. I'm not saying that this law doesn't not do that. And so I'm actually agreeing with Brandon. If, if, if I went and tried to find the actual decision um, from the Supreme Court that in writing said Roe v. Wade is no longer the law, that does not exist. And that's the point that I was saying. Wait, wait, wait. You agree that it has now, even though it's yes. so he agrees with he, he he agrees with the qualification that in the state of Texas, Roe v. Wade is no longer operative. But earlier in our dialogue, he wasn't able to hear that. Right. No, I was. I was, he, you I, ha- was ra- I will say you have been saying you agree. You're still not listening. I'm about to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I will say you did say several times that you did agree with me. I hear that. I never questioned your intention. It was like it was it was it was literally what I the words that I heard you say. And I was like, wait a minute. Did you get new medicine? No. We ADHD passes in case y'all didn't know. I took some extra medicine today oh. because I had that test. Done. That's what the fuck it is. See, I know. I be knowing when the fuck y'all be taking y'all's, y'all's meds change. We ADHD in this piece. <laughs> I said, this nigga done had Ritalin or something in his system. He's too focused on this thing. He ain't trying to let it go. But I'm like that though. I'm like that. I don't know why I'm like that. It's your medicine. Today it was medicine, but it's more than the medicine. I hate him. <laughs> I love y'all too. But why your love hurt so bad? <laughs> Get on my nerves. So we were planning on another announcement that was wrestling with Hurricane Ida and also about Lil Nas X. But we spent so much time here talking about the Texas abortion law appropriately that we'll get to those in next week's church announcements. 
For now, I need a break from him and you need to go drink some water. So let's have a selection from the choir and we'll be right back after this with the word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks be to pod. Thanks, pod. Get on my nerves. From that quick break, in today's Word of Pot, we are talking about the great resignation and the meaning of work. If you do any search on the internet for the great resignation, you will see article after article after article that talks about the fact that people are looking for new jobs in this post-pandemic, but not really post-pandemic because we're still in the pandemic, but you know, this stage of the pandemic reality. 55% of people in the workforce, meaning that they're currently working or actively looking for employment, said they are likely to look for a new job in the next 12 months. So according to this article, there was a survey conducted in the month of July, and the finding of that article suggested there have been a lot of epiphanies and reckonings during the pandemic time with respect to how we're prioritizing our values and, of course, how that fits into the work that we do. So people are resigning without a paycheck. And I think something is in the atmosphere. So have y'all read about the great resignation or heard about it or thought about it yourselves? It's hard not to think about kind of in this uh, current climate. I think it's all Gen Xers, though. I don't think millennials and Gen, uh, what's the... what's the? I thought it was millennials and stuff. I mean, as a Gen X, I... It ain't millennials. It ain't millennials. That's not true. We don't give a It's damn. in the article. <laughs> don't, believe, don't believe all this. She says, Gen Xers believe all the shit they read. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just playing. I'm just then kidding. Why, I'm kidding. Then why am I giving 10 articles? articles a fucking week to read. <laughs> Somebody must be believing it. it. It makes sense. I mean, there's a realization that things are more important or what's more important. This is a question that I ask myself regularly. There was a time in my life where I walked away from a really good paying job, well, a, an okay paying job with health insurance as a single mom because it wasn't life-giving. And I ended up selling computers and it was one of the most life-giving things that I've ever done. So it makes sense to me in the middle of this pandemic where if you're paying attention, you get kind of shaken out of what your normal world is that people would start wondering what it means to be doing something that gives you life and or doing something that gives you enough money so that you can do what gives you life. Um, Even more... Then like just doing what gives you life. It's amazing that not too long ago, we were having this conversation about paying people a living wage, right? In nowhere in our country, no state, no city could someone make minimum wage and afford a two-bedroom apartment if it was a family of more than two. And there was this huge conversation, argument stalemate about what should people be paid. $10.10 an hour was the poverty line. And so we, we were just fighting, trying to get people above the poverty line. Some people would have you believe that the economy could not afford to pay people this money. Fast forward a year and a half, two years in this pandemic, and it's amazing what people are willing to pay people um, now that they have a need for people to work. We might be having a different conversation about work if we had a different reality about how we value 
people who are in the labor force and who are doing these jobs and that it had to take a pandemic and a shortage of workers for us to pay people living wages. And that's ridiculous. And please believe the irony is not missed on me that we are having this conversation Saturday of Labor Day weekend and that this episode is going to drop on the day that the United States says it's going to celebrate the American labor movement and all the works and contributions of laborers and a day that's about unions, workers' rights, ensuring people's working conditions are safe and fair, ensuring people's compensation is equitable and fair. So we're sitting here in this cultural moment where we're supposed to be thinking about labor, not just the fact that we get a four-day weekend or a three-day weekend depending on where you work. And we're also in the midst of this conversation about what it means to return to work. We haven't had to go into the office for the last 15, 18, 24 months. And as frustrating as that has been in some regards, it's also been a time for a lot of reflection. And so now companies are trying to figure out how do we get people back into this building when they've been doing the same exact thing that they've been doing all along remotely? What reason do we have for getting them here? So for me, I'm asking, what is the function of work? Because I think a lot of this back-to-work mentality is rooted in plantation politics. You don't think people should work? Or you don't think people should work for free? I don't know what the hell you mean by plantation politics. Talk about it. If you listen till the end of the fucking sentence. Oh, you wasn't finished? No, bitch. Oh, go ahead. So no, bitch. plantation politics, which says, <laughs> plantation politics, which says, if I can't see you working, then you must not be doing anything. It's the reason that you had to deputize a black person in some instances to make sure that the other folks who were black were working in the fields. Because there's no one here to enforce the fact that you have to work tirelessly, endlessly, unrelentingly for the sake of my bottom line as the company, as the corporation, as the institution. There's no possible way that you could be doing it. And so I'm sitting here like, don't y'all realize y'all are all slaves? Mm. And is that the meaning of work? Wow. Is the meaning of work congruent with, synonymous with slavery? In capitalism, it might be. Absolutely. I think it is. I mean, I, I'm I'm intrigued. I'm glad that you said something about it matching slavery and feeling enslaved by, by the work system. Because when I was reflecting on this and we were talking about Protestant work ethic, this desire to just keep working, it made me think of, um, and by no means do I want to minimize it, but the concentration camps where on the uh the the myth was there's a sign that says work makes free and that's the that's the thing if you just keep working then you're going to be free that's where your freedom comes from now our lives today are different from the holocaust but the same it's the same um foundational beliefs that think you must always be working you cannot sit down you always have more that you should do and and the reality is that like when we were talking about doing this, this is infused into me generations and generations and generations. So I can believe in a Sabbath. I can know that I want to do things that give me life. I know that I want to spend time with family and friends more, but I will tell you being compelled doesn't show freedom, right? You're compelled, like you cannot do anything but work. That's wrong. My God. I think that's a great point. Sometimes I sit and think about the way especially in our context, that we approach work, that we approach the work week, how we approach these things. And I'm like, who decided that this is how this shit should be? Who decided that we should be working 40 hours a week? How, how did that become the standard that really a third of your life you need to be devoting to not being with your family, not getting rest, not taking care of yourself? Shouldn't it really be like a sixth? 
or, you know, an eighth or something like that. I'm sorry. The Bible did it. I'm sorry. The Bible did it. Because what does it talk about? It doesn't talk about, it talks about on the first day, God did all these things. God worked and worked and worked and worked. The second day, God worked and worked and worked and worked. And it continues for six. But that's God. We ain't God. But we got to be God-like. No, no. I ain't trying to be God-like. I'm trying to be Mm -hmm. Mm human-like. But God became human. God became Jesus. But he was still God. That's not the point. (laughs) (laughs) But there's something about the way that we even talk about theology and the creation narrative that, that reinforces this notion that our lives are all about work. And so what we do with that in the 21st century is we work jobs Monday through Friday, some of us also on Saturdays, oftentimes more than 40 hours a week. And then at least in my household, we wake up on Sunday morning and we got to get clean. We got to shine our shoes. We got to have a good Sunday morning breakfast. We got to go to church for Sunday school at 930 and work in that space. We have to go to the church service at 11 a.m. and work there. And don't let that be a three o'clock service where the pastor's guest preaching and the choir got to sing. Yep. Now Sunday. Boy, you don't know nothing about them three o'clock services. Child, I know, what you know about an A and a B selection? And y'all better have them shoes shine on Saturday night. Y'all better not be shining no shoes on no Sunday Child, night. I shine my shoes rarely. <laughs> <laughs> but even <laughs> Church now has become work. It's about how well you can perform and how well you can be in the space. And it's just like, we've missed something. And I think the pandemic is what has made us all realize that because we've been sitting in front of computers, doing work at all hours of the day, all hours of the night, and still doing church all hours of the day and all hours of the night because everybody's live streaming. And and we've entered, like, it's, it's a part, and we say that now it's a part of our own existence. You ever heard somebody say, if a man don't work, sorry, forgive my, um, gendered language you ever heard you know man don't work he don't eat you know and so in order for you to live in order for you to have to even live you must work and you must do it constantly you must do it you must work your fingers to the bones you must work until you're exhausted until you're old and frail and then you must die period right you can work past the point that your body can take it and so that as I sit here ready to crawl under my table today. But like that that's the only thing you can do. And we get to the place where our identities are so conflated with our professions that we don't have healthy, yes. well-rounded, emotional lives. Our emotions, our psyches, our spirits are immature, childish, adolescent, like undeveloped, unfertilized zygotes. Our emotional lives have no sign of growth because we're so identified with our work. And I'm testifying for myself right now. Coming into the awareness that I'm ADHD and coming into the awareness that the way in which my ADHD manifests is rewarded by a culture that values work because my brain can solve any problem that you put before me. And if I can't solve it, I know who to call in order to help me solve it. And so all of my life, I've been rewarded for that sort of mentality and approach. And I've just thought that it was normal because this society grounded in the Protestant work ethic says that you should be working all the time like me. You should be reading files for your job at midnight. You should be working on that project over the weekend and not taking a break. When I got to the place where I was like, oh, I got ADHD. Let me take care of that to try to get to a place where I can be centered enough not to work mindlessly because that's what I've always done based on how my brain is wired. And when I got to the place where I tended to my ADHD and I was like, oh, I don't actually have to work all the time. Who am I working to impress? I think an important distinction that you're making, Brandon, is when you talk about working almost to the extent that you're overworking, reading files at midnight, doing all of those things. 
and this is for someone else. And so in some cases, your energy has shifted and you're still giving energy to things, but now you're giving energy to things that are your dreams and that are your desires and that are your passions. And you still need to take a moment and pause and take care of yourself and make sure you're not running yourself ragged. Yes. I firmly believe that the one thing in this world that we cannot redeem is time, the thing yep. that we cannot get back. Yep. There may be some other things, but it's time, right? You can't spend all of your time working for someone else, investing in other people's visions and dreams and passions, and you never put that same energy toward the things that you know that you want to experience in this life. For some of you, you need to stop working so much. For some of you, your work and your energy needs to shift. And those things that have been lying dormant in your mind, those passions, those desires, you need to start putting some of that energy that you have been giving 60 and 70 hours to build somebody else's organization, to support somebody else's vision. And you need to start pouring it into yourself and what God has placed inside of you because God's vision for your life, and I didn't come to preach, but God's purpose for your life is not necessarily tethered to an organization. Mm. And so what does it mean to and, find and, that? Oh, go, Katie. Go ahead, Rick. Katie. Come on, preach. No, no, no. Well, well, I, 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 she don't jump in much. Let her jump in. But I don't have anything. Preach, girl. I don't have anything about God. I'm just saying like when, when I was reading these articles, what I do have is that all these corporations have been asking these questions about what's causing this great resignation, right? And they're realizing that they have to adapt because people want to be seen. They want to be known for who they are. They want others to acknowledge them, right? So that what you are doing, what the work that you're doing is something that does benefit. It's not like you're a cog in a machine, right? So if you're working in an environment where people see you, where people know about your life, or what makes you happy, what makes you alive, then that's an environment in which people can thrive and um, make better choices about well, I don't know if I want to say better choices. I can't make better choices, but those are places where we can honor ourselves. Like our our being is is honored. If you're working in an environment where you know that people are trying to tick off every time you've done something wrong, if they don't care what you do, but they want to say where you've put a comma wrong or they want to tell you you're wrong and then use it as their idea. If you're in that kind of environment, then you're not going to be feeling like you're seen. You're going to walk away. To wrap up this conversation about work, because we spent so much time in our church announcements talking about Roe v. Wade and the Texas abortion law, and that's a very important thing for us to discuss, this word of pod is a little bit shorter. Yeah, that probably should have been the actual podcast. <laughs> right. That should be our word of pod. <laughs> we'll have to do a word of pod next week once we've all had a chance to actually read the dissenting opinions because Sam didn't read those opinions yet. And we can have a nuanced conversation. We can have an even more nuanced conversation about the implications of that decision. He can't let it go. He worse than you are, Sam. Yeah, I know. Trust me, I know. No, 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 no. I'm catching up with him. <laughs> I am catching up with him. No, he's definitely worse. Uh-uh, I caught up. <laughs> Look at Katie's face. <laughs> I ain't worried about Katie Ricks. You the problem, no, my no, no. no, Yeah, I knew that no. was where it was going to. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you try to split up black people. Oh, I see what she's doing. You're right, Brandon. <laughs> we built black, gay, straight solidarity. And you trying to split us <laughs> So, but I think the thing for me is, um, there were a lot of things that I read in preparation for this episode about how work became the center of our lives because in the absence of things like universal healthcare, in the absence of things like universal basic income, our jobs became our all in all. If you want to have a living wage, if you want to feed your children, if you want to have health insurance, if you want all these things, you have to work. 
And so work became the center of our lives. And that's based on a broader climate, a broader system or structure where in the vast majority of humans in the world do not have the basics that are necessary to survive. I'm not even talking about 401ks. I'm talking about basics, income, healthcare, education. That's where we are. So if you are a person whose life has been interrupted by the pandemic in this way, if you're one of the Americans who's looking for a new job or one of the Americans who say they've not progressed in their careers, I think around 40% said that, around 50% said that they were looking for new jobs. In April alone, y'all, 4 million people quit their jobs. If you're in that fold, I think that you're onto something. And my only hope is that we don't get to the place where the corporations are effective at getting us back to working at the same level that we were in the past. So if you're new to the Holy Shit Pod, at the end of every episode, we like to end with something we call invitations. And the Black Baptist Church is an invitation to receive Christ. And you got to come and give your hand to the minister and your heart to God. We're not doing that because we're not in the business of evangelism, but we are in the business of thinking about what it means to live life more abundantly. And that's what this invitational moment is about. For all that we've discussed today, let's pause for a moment now and think about what it means to get back to life. And back to reality. I'm sorry. What it means to get back to life and life more abundantly. You ain't got to give your hand to nobody's minister. You ain't even got to give your heart to God. But you got to open that heart up to life. So Katie and saying, what do you have for our people? The people of pod. So I got a couple of invitations. As we talked about this whole abortion thing, I keep thinking about this quote that I heard, not this last election cycle, but the one before that, which was elections have consequences. And I, I, I met a lot of apathetic voters who was like, what, what I'm going to vote for anyway, you know. And like to Brandon's point earlier, like the, the thing that many people were afraid of is here. And in part because of the consequences of some of our previous elections. And so my invitation to the folks who are listening, if you think you might sit any future elections out, if you think that you don't have a role to play or that your participation does not matter, that is not the case. We need you to participate. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. That's not my place. But do your research, figure out the issues, figure out the candidates and participate in everything from your local elections to the national or federal elections. Participate in this. Some people call it a democracy. The other one is the other invitation that I have um, around work is to take some of that energy that you spend investing in others, someone else's dream, someone else's vision, someone else's passion. And first, I want you to take some time and care for yourself. Take care of yourself. Don't give yourself 10% of your energy caring for yourself and then 90% of your energy investing in someone else's world. I want you to invest in your own dreams, your own passions, your own vision. Figure out what that division is for dividing up that your energy and the work that you do and put some of that toward your own passions, your own goals, your own desires. Ashe, Karen, what you got? Yeah, I, I don't think... You got the dog. The Daisy got an invitation today. It's all right. If you don't praise God, the dogs will cry out. Well, they'll cry out. Ah. Uh-huh. She's, uh, she's inviting people, to other dogs to bark when there's someone in your backyard. So I think my invitation has to do with work. I'm, I'm not really ready to do one about Texas yet. Um, I have 
come from a very long line of workaholics um, who have focused on work first and and family way, way back in the back. I'm not sure second even comes close. My life has been a struggle to figure that out. Um, and so my invitation to you is to figure out how your job, what gives you money to have a place to live, to feed your children, to have health insurance. Figure out that where that fits in to the rest of your life. Because your vocation isn't just that title. It's not where you work a third of your life. It is that. It is the time you spend with family, the time you spend with friends. It is the time where you work on your own desires, as Sam was talking about. It's doing what gives you life. So my invitation to you is to go on the same journey or a similar journey as I am to figuring out the depth of what gives you life. That is where you find your vocation. Ashe. So my invitation is to think on this quote from Toni Morrison. In order to survive and thrive, empires must exercise complete control over human reproduction. This, not a love for children, is why abortion, LGBTQIA people, and sterility are demonized and despised. In a white supremacist capitalist patriarchy, white children are needed so that whiteness can maintain its majority. Black, indigenous, and people of color, or BIPOC children, I just don't like BIPOC, but it says, I'm gonna read the quote, BIPOC children are needed so that there is a steady supply of soldiers, laborers, cannon fodder, and scapegoats. And so I think that Toni Morrison quote links together both of these conversations in a way that is so precise. We need black and brown bodies to work, to scapegoat, to sit in that position that Frank Wilderson calls social death. And we need white children to make sure that white America maintains its majority. And that's what all this shit really is about. It's about slavery, control, and white supremacy. That ain't a high note to end it on, but it's the note. And that's the word of pod for the people of pod. Thanks, Thanks be, be to pod. pod. So that is a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Now, before you press that pause button, we got three things that we would love for you to do. Number one, share this episode or the entire podcast channel with a friend. Like for real, go ahead and do it right now. Number two, Rate and review this podcast. Tap the maximum number of stars available in your podcast app of choice. That's five stars in Apple. And write us a little love note. And number three, send us an email or a voicemail. The email addy is holyshit at theolabmedia.com. And you can submit your voicemail by visiting theolabmedia.com. And this is for you, Kat. Clicking the purple hexagon in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. That's all, folks. Next week, we'll likely have an extended word of pod about what's going on in Texas and religious extremism and women's rights. That is, of course, unless someone else does something else stupid between now and then, which is highly likely. Either way, we'll be back on Monday, same time, same place. Until then, peace.